Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's leading talk health radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians, founders and CEOs who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. As regular listeners will know, I'm the founder and I'm a founder and CEO of a health tech company myself, which is called PocDoc. Our goal is to make anybody's smartphone or tablet into uh, a blood testing device so anyone can test themselves for a range of conditions just using their phone anytime anywhere thanks for listening everybody i say this every week but it means a lot thank you very much for tuning in um obviously if you're listening live hello um if you're listening on demand whether that's on our youtube channel spotify google Podcasts, audible or apple Podcasts, um we are the uk's leading live health tech show we have over 200,000 live listeners a month and that's growing all the time so thank you very much for for listening really without you guys we wouldn't have a show um so you know it would just be me and the guests kind of howling into the void so thank you very much for listening it really is great great greatly appreciated and it's a sign of how valuable the content on the show is and how interesting it is particularly at the moment so today's show marks the finale of our healthy heart season that began in uh, the end of January. It began with Jules Payne, the CEO of Heart UK. We then had TV's Dr. Christian on from Embarrassing Bodies. He was an absolute riot. We've probably got to get that guy back on. We then had Ali Parza, who is the billionaire founder of Babylon Health. And we had last week, we had Selena Gore, the CEO of Women Heart on. And I thought that was a really interesting show because it, it was a new way of thinking about heart health, specifically from the challenges and obstacles um, and stigmatization that comes from women with heart conditions. You can check them all out. They're all available. You just need to Google or search for Health Tech Hour on any of the platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Audible. Um, look for my happy, smiling face. Um, ignore all the other health tech shows, obviously. Um, they're all amazing shows. They're all amazing content. Great interviews. Would recommend them. But last, by, uh, but, but last, but absolutely by no means least, we're saving the best to last. We have Kate Bratt Farrar, CEO of Heart Research UK, on today. So Heart Research UK are one of the longest running heart health charities in the UK um, and their funding into heart research, specifically into heart research around surgery, heart surgery, has helped flip the statistics on surviving heart attacks from 70% of people who had a heart attack 50 years ago would die, whereas now 70% of people survive. Their funding has been absolutely critical in the development of safer heart surgery. The, the heart surgery that we all you know, take for granted today really has been developed directly as a result of Heart Research UK's funding that began in the late 60s with their founder and has continued on through the through the decades. Kate herself has dedicated her career to improving the lives of others, having held senior leading positions at the Department of Health, Save the Children, Women's Aid, and now obviously as CEO of Heart Research UK. Um, I'm fascinated by Heart Research's role. Obviously, as a health tech entrepreneur um, building a health tech business, we're very aware of... Um, 
the requirement and the value of research funding. So, uh, and, and it's something that I think is, it, it doesn't get enough coverage. And, and I think that there will be people listening who have probably heard, you know, the big headlines about government makes available 100 million for funding of this or funding of this area, green energy or whatever the latest sort of, you know, doodad happens to be. But I think that what hopefully what I'm interested to get behind the details on this show is exactly how heart research uses the specific scientific funding to actually drive these critical pieces of innovation, which um, and, and trying to sort of under explain a little bit to the listeners about how that funding flow actually how innovations come to pass and how they end up becoming, you know, what, what got funded 10 years ago or 20 years ago becomes the standard of today. So anyway, Kate, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Good. Well, and uh, we were talking before the show, but but you are in a very windswept Yorkshire, as it. As it I turns. am. Yes, it's uh, it's blue skies now, but the trees <laughs> yeah. are a little bit crazy. Well, thank you for braving the storm. Obviously, you are inside because otherwise we probably wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be able to hear you. Um, but thank you very much for coming on the show. So. Um, as, as regular listeners will know, we tend to do the show in three parts. Things can move around and we're a bit flexible, but broadly it's an origins part, which is how you came to be doing all the wonderful ch- world-changing things that you're doing and, and the, the, the um, organization, so Heart Research, um, all of the amazing things that they are doing. And then the final piece is really more around trying to understand the motivations and how you stay on your mission and how you keep Heart Research on their mission and, and words of wisdom for the, for the audience. So let's um i know that you you've spent your career really in what would could be called not for profit you know or, yeah. or, or charitable sector and so how at what point did you either make a decision or have that decision made for you or what was your journey into that sector because i often find we've had a lot of people from the not for profit sector and a lot of leaders and founders and ceos from that sector on and there's generally always a story you know there's either an mm-hmm. epiphany or a personal story or a or something that happens a move that push or, or drives inspires that person to take that part so what how was that journey for you so i um when i was at university i i wanted to work in a refuge that a women's refuge that's really what i wanted to do and i remember my stepmom saying to me that's that's tough tough work mm. um so i kind of thought no more of it and i managed to get on a graduate scheme of department of health okay um and i was I say lucky, but it was tough. I ended up working on um, the primary care response to the Victoria Climbier inquiry. And as most listeners oh, will know who yeah. Victoria Climbier was. So I, I worked on that um, and so, something did really touch me. And I, as civil servants, what you tend to do is you, you move from one thing to the next. Um, you're yeah. not always a specialist in an area. So when that was kind of over and I was going to go on to work on something like performance measures for GP practices. <laughs> in, 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 let's not, I mean, that's important, but I could see why that might I'm be. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Just if you ask me to give you any statistics at any point today, you'll realise that that was not going to be a strong point. <laughs> um, so um, this job came up with Save the Children and it was policy. I'd done a policy degree. Um and I thought the only way I could have stayed in the civil service and focused specifically on children, children's health would have been to move to London. And as you can probably tell by my voice, I am Yorkshire through and through. <laughs> um, so I moved to, to save the children. I was there for quite a long time and I loved it. Um, and I think while I was there, I kind of I started to develop a list. I knew that charity was my thing then. Mm-hmm. Um, the third sector was my thing. So 
I kind of developed a list of, you know, the causes that meant a lot to me. And that's right. how, so people call it a, a portfolio career, don't they? Which sounds very posh. Actually, it's just 100% a cause-driven career right. for me. And so when, um, with the, so just to, the, I'm not, some of the listeners will remember the Victoria Columbia case. I remember the Victoria Columbia case, but it was a, what, what I guess one of the most, one of the recent, or uh, well, one of the most recent, sort of large media coverage sort of very um publicized child abuse cases or child neglect or how would you I don't know how you would describe yeah that. so it was it was about safeguarding and it was as is and has continued to happen with cases right up until you know very very recently um the issue that came to light was about communication between different um organizations and different sections of the public sector and mm. um how do we know to look what does child neglect look like what does child abuse look like from the out outside and how do we ask those questions whether it be in a health setting or somewhere else um and it, you know that as with all of these cases was absolutely heartbreaking but yep. all you know the le- taking learning from that and i suppose from my perspective at that point, I was working um, in a, se- um, a section that focused on primary care trusts. Mm-hmm. Some people might remember those, some people may not, uh, yeah. but they were new. They were brand new. So primary care trusts hadn't been around at the time that Victoria sadly died. So we were almost looking fresh eyes. How, how should a trust and how could a trust support um, better safeguarding? Right. And just just because I, 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 what we like to do on the show is try and sort of ask questions that some people might think are really stupid. But what, can you just for a listen, because safeguarding is a term that gets thrown around a lot in the media yeah. and things like that. But like, what does that mean for, for not just for you, but what what does it definitively mean? It's a, it's about protecting the vulnerable, really. I think that is the so we used to say safeguarding is everybody's business. Mm-hmm. And and it really is, you know, even in heart research where we're not coming face to face with, you know, working one on one with what we would class as vulnerable people. Safeguarding is still our business. The staff still are trained on um, how to recognize potential issues. What happens if somebody discloses something to you? Um, right. Children, by their nature, are vulnerable. They mm-hmm. don't have a voice in society. Um adults have the power yeah um not not always the right ones so you know that it's about that how do we recognize that and it's the same with safeguarding vulnerable adults as well who may Mm -hmm. not have a voice because they have dementia or um other other reasons that they can't function fully it's we all have a duty to protect those people why would we not want to protect the most vulnerable in our society yes I, I I agree. Thank you very much for for kind of explaining that. So, w- when um, w- what was the difference for you, or how did the choice get made between? Because Save the Children is a large organisation, yeah. very, very large charity. What was the but for example that pathway from the Victoria case w- could have led down a more of a social care pathway for you, but you ended up at, at, at Save the Children. And what was that actually a decision that you made, or was it that there was an opportunity with Save the Children, or, or how did that play out? Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was an opportunity, but I think also um, it kind of spoke to me. So, it, you know, it, I was going to be working on child poverty in the UK. 
um, potentially some child protection stuff as well, education. So it felt like quite a natural progression. Mm. Um, you know, you look, I look back now, I think I was 23. Um, yeah. and I, I mean, God, if you'd seen what the presentation I did look like, I'm sure it had patterns on the front page. Still got the job. Seemed to have worked, so did the job. But yeah, so it just, like, I, I fully believe in going with your gut in mm. life. And that's very much what it was. Okay. Um, and so when you were there and you came up with the list of causes, how, how yeah, did you, yeah. at what point did you make a decision to sort of leave Save the Children and move on to the next thing? And, and how did that sort of end up with you ending up in um, heart health, cardiovascular health, you know, preventable diseases, you know, that sort of space, which is a huge space in and of itself? Yeah, so... I mean, I, I, kind of, I then moved to Wales. We decided to have a fun two years. Oh, yeah. Look at Cerebra, which is a charity for children with brain injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. And it was kind of, you know, it was a head of department, permanent. And, and it just gave me that opportunity to lead a team and do new things. Um, but as I've said, I'm very Yorkshire and we kind of wanted to get home. And then the refuge job came. So right. it kind of felt like I'd gone full circle. Full circle um to to run Leeds Women's Aid um and like really full circle because when I got the job one of my mum's friends actually handed me a packet of photos from when they'd all done their social work placements at the very refuge that I now ran wow. in the 70s so it's, wow. yeah that was dream come, come true stuff okay. really um and I was there for you know eight years I had twins in that time you know a lot happened um you know and I also you know it was tough it is a Mm. tough job and women's refugees are they um publicly as well as privately funded or what's the what's the funding situation with them yeah so it's it's competitive commissioning now um for most refugees so part of it will be funded by local authority um part of it will be funded through housing benefit um although we did actually establish a completely independent refuge while I was there mm-hmm. um because I managed to lose us a big contract that's one of my greatest regrets got it back before I left though okay well, <laughs> okay good but yes yeah, so we we um we actually established an, an independent refuge as well so okay. it's kind of part public funded and then you know as all uh, charities you have to raise money right to do other stuff yeah for the operating expenses and things like that yeah and to do to do the add-ons right. you know you want really nice spaces for the kids to play right bearing in mind you've got more kids than you have adult women right in the right. refuge um you want to run an after-school club or holiday clubs that kind of stuff additional support groups um you know that all costs more money so it's about the whole it's it's um you know and keeping keeping going Right. And build, building those reserves, as I'm sure any of the charity yeah. people leave. Yeah, no, um, I think it's, so it's a, I think it's a about. constant. I think it's a constant. I mean, my, my sister is um in the charitable space has been, and her first gig in in that space was at the London Air Ambulance, which is completely privately funded. They have no, or at the yeah. time, I don't know if it is the case now. And it, it it's it's extremely difficult. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's yeah. a, it's the kind of the constant sort of you know. The, the spectre on the shoulder of of, of of everyone working at these organizations is you know where's the funding coming from where's the funding coming yeah. from? It, it's yeah it's it's a constant issue i assume i mean yeah. it just never yeah. goes away right no exactly the sustainability is a is a key thing 
and I so from the the next on my list was hospice because my um my mum died from cancer when I was 10 mm. and um so it it like really really meant a lot to me oh, yeah so but I went but I went back into a big organization then so rather than independent hospice I went to see Ryder which is yeah, that's a big a one. Big is, that the, is, that, is that the biggest or one of the biggest? Uh, yeah, there's Sea Rider and Marie Curie are the two nice. two biggies. Um, and I mean, it was amazing and it's not miserable and it's not any of those things. No. <clears throat> you know, so the similarity between um, refuges and hospices is Christmas is like the most magical, wonderful time. Right. Um, and and, it, why, is, know, and why, why is that, do you think? I think because people just really go all out you know on the hospital right. I was like what's the day you put the drinks trolley on the ward because get it out there <laughs> <laughs> I love it <laughs> yeah and it's about memory and making memories and you know and it just people's kindness really knows no bounds right. at that at that point and yeah. I loved it I loved working there um but I think probably part of the reality is that by that point I was used to being the boss boss sure the capo <laughs> the capo de capi exactly Right. <laughs> so um this role at heart research came up and it's you know this is my dream it's a lead based national charity right um, there, can't, there can't be too many of those no there's there, there's more than you think i think there's at oh, least yeah? three or four of us yeah okay cool um so we've got bone cancer research epilepsy society so there, there are a few because okay. uh, it's an a city um and my not not too long before my father-in-law had, had died of heart failure okay soon after that my mother-in-law had had um a heart operation that was only discovered when she was having a pre-op for um a hip replacement oh wow so it, again it kind of it resonated well, I, mean, I, heart health is, I mean it's the single biggest killer of everybody on the well in yeah. the developing developed world anyway yeah I mean, not just killer, now so. probably will be again in the next couple of years but well, I mean, it depends, well yeah if you look at it depends if you, if you take it depends what yeah. time scale you look at but yeah it is and it yeah. effect, you know it affects it affects all of us and it's just for me heart research is just a great organization it's the kind of place i wanted to be and i knew it immediately that's amazing well look your timing is impeccable as well because we've literally just hit the moment where we have to break for a commercial break so we're going to take a couple of minutes and then we can get all into the stuff that heart research is doing because i think that obviously as, as regular listeners will know we do quite a, a fair bit of research into each show and we do a pre-production call which which not everyone does but but it's certainly so we think it makes for a better show and and the role that you play or have played almost in the background necessarily that of, of, of a lot of people, millions of people will have had experience directly or indirectly of heart problems, some fatal, some not, you know, but, but a lot of the technology and the innovations have stemmed from some of the funding that has come directly from your organization. And I actually feel like the role that you play in the ecosystem is extremely important. And I really can't wait to get under the skin of it in the next part of the show. So we'll be back after a couple of minutes with Kate Bratt-Farrar, CEO of Heart Research. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. How good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C 
help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories Liposomal Vitamin C Capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and our guest this week, Kate Bratt-Farrar, the CEO of Heart Research. So we um, let's talk about Heart Research and w- let's start with what is what is the kind of self-stated mission of the charity? So it's essentially prevention treatment cure okay we want to keep families together for longer right. makes sense specifically <laughs> as far as heart heart disease yes right exactly yeah, yeah. Okay. um so you know, when we, we our founder was a heart surgeon and for him it was incredibly personal so you talked about the stats around heart attacks um earlier um at that time as well you know only one in five children with a congenital heart condition would make it to their first birthday and, and, and this is in the late 60s early yeah 70s, so it's right? like 1967 um right. you know the outcomes were very very different so sorry say that one again so what, only one in five one children. in five I've, i said i wouldn't wow. say any stats so let's hope i've got that uh, yeah. right well no um, but, but broad, broadly speaking survivability was like if if you had yeah. a child that had a heart condition only 20 percent of them would, would survive yeah. which is which is really yeah. shocking like if you if that stat came out today people would be up in arms so it's a show they you would. how far we come yeah, exactly. And for him, as a as a surgeon, um, you know, he had a last straw moment where he'd been through another really lengthy surgery and it had not worked and he'd lost a young patient. So he went to the Yorkshire Evening Post, who's our local paper, and he started um, a fundraising campaign. And the mission was essentially to make surgery safer. OK, that's what he wanted to do. Did he? Um, um- what was unsafe about the surgery? I think generally? it was. The, I mean, I think it was just the the um, mortality rates were so okay. high. Right. So, and, and yeah, obviously, new techniques, etc., get developed, and that is what started to happen. So, um, Mr. Watson himself developed um, a, a tissue valve mm-hmm. um, for use in heart surgery that was the prototype for the kind of porcine valves that we use for the next 30 years. And that was in right. the early seventies. So we kind of, you know, I think I've said to you off there, but I kind of feel like we were essentially founded on the idea of tech yeah. and, and how it can be well, but that's uh, used what, but, for good. But that's what I think is really fascinating about this charity, because it was founded by a highly technical person who was in the field that the, the charity related to in order to develop very specific some might say quite narrow scientific innovations to help him save lives in a very sort of specifically narrow way which I think is a really unique story actually yeah and I think you know it was they were they were successful at raising money so that that ended up with um a specific 
um, heart surgery a place in Killingback, which is just outside Leeds. We ended up funding, I think, six of the first eight heart transplants wow. in the UK. Um, and then in 2000, the first artificial heart, um, which is called the Jarvik 2000, apparently, and is okay. still in the Guinness World Book of Records. Right, um, it's the so first ever. A, and you yeah. funded that? That came from you guys? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so... so uh, there had been a lot, and I'll be honest, we do less of that now. We do less funding of the stuff, mm-hmm. um, what would be considered almost capital, uh, because I, I think that has become more main, mainstream in terms yeah. of innovation in actual technique, etc. cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we became um, heart, surgery, um, heart Research UK from the Heart Surgery Fund. We became... Mm-hmm. Heart Research UK and and moved into funding specific research. Yeah. Um, and and do you know it's funny you saying that people might not know about things because I think you know a lot of what we fund is not particularly sexy. It yeah. can be you know it's we're not we're not huge. So yeah. last year we gave out two just over two million um, for research specifically, yeah. and that that was our that was the most we've we've ever given out and we did do a specific covid and heart conditions fund sure um but often what we're funding is that bit between and i'm not a scientist you'll be able to tell the first bit of science yeah okay (laughs) and the using it on people science yes you know so it it might get referred to in a journal article later on but it can it can be that piece, and those pieces that aren't sexy are quite often the hardest to. Well, that's so. That's one fund. of the reasons why. That's one of the reasons why we started the show in the first place was because we sort of recognised that there was all this innovation that was happening across every different type of, of of health technology or healthcare. I mean, there's innovation all over the place. You know, from people working out how to save thousands of hours of quarter time right the way through to you know cutting edge gene sequencing or research into the new surgical techniques for heart surgery. And it's very difficult for that type of thing to get broadcast coverage, right? To get yeah. a platform to talk about it, because as you say, it, it's not, it, 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 it's difficult to met for the, for the, for, for the way that the existing kind of broadcast media cycle, the way they think about things to, to take that and to sort of make it into their version of what they think a story is, but actually yeah. what they think a story is, is normally pretty superficial and complete nonsense about whatever, influencer said what on twitter whereas actually this stuff is actually changing the world and so that was the reason why we did the show just to try and highlight exactly this type of this type of thing and and speaking personally as a founder of a health technology company that that because i think what you're saying there is your research funding is to help something move from early stage feasibility into um proof of concept effectively yeah, so often, more like real often, world yeah. proof of concept prior to going into human trials or you know and and you know human trials or anything that relates to surgery or surgical interventions and things like that's it's pretty that's, that's pretty yeah. that's a pretty big hurdle i mean that's that's you, you know you're not messing around there it's pretty invasive stuff so but that that's often referred to as like the value of death right between something yeah. that you know scientists can say they think is feasible to something actually having proof of concept it's very hard to get funding for um yeah and, and so you filling that gap is is critical i know that from from our area personally and if you speak to anyone else that's founded or, or runs a health tech health technology business health tech business they'll, they'll say the same thing but that grant funding is often the difference between something happening and something not happening i mean yeah. you know and there's lots of different places that that funding can come from 
but, but the think, fact that you're doing it is, is really amazing it's you know and some of it you know, so we have these translational research projects and and they're about getting to the patient as soon as possible and to be to be honest some of them the, the ones I find easiest to understand as a social scientist um is uh, are the ones that some of them actually do good while they're happening so you mm. know we funded one recently, which is around prehabilitation for people who are going for surgery. You know, what right. could you do um, for better outcomes before you have the surgery? Um, or there's something around um, rehab at home for people with heart failure, right. which is, you know, is not high on the list and actually has, a, you know, outcomes for people with heart failure have not improved um, at the rate that other outcomes for people okay. are improving with with other conditions so and why do you why do you think that is or is there is this research to establish why that could be well my head of research would would tell you that if we had an extra 10 million that's what we're You'd researching find out, right? okay yeah. <laughs> so, so so you know we know you know that there's a differential between the outcomes after heart disease heart surgery that than other other outcomes from other things no so not heart surgery heart oh, surgery heart. is safe is, is, oh, okay. is one of the safest kind of surgeries now so no don't um, don't don't take me wrong but outcomes for people with heart failure oh okay and not so have not improved heart well heart failure not heart, heart attack failure. so actual heart failure which can be a right. long process it can be a short process okay um those outcomes are, haven't improved mm. greatly in the in, in recent years yeah and it's you know so the the rehab at home a great thing um mm. But that those, I mean, that is, as I said, my head of research, she would, that would be her number one priority um, and, for further research. Yeah, because I get that. I would imagine there's a few theories about that, but 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 no one's done the done the research or, or that research is being done. But that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, that's really yeah. interesting. And I'm sure, I'm sure that there is research being done, um, but it, it's just pulling it together. For, for us, it's one of those, you know, we have, we've just been through a strategy development process as all organisations have to. And that's kind of, it's, it's on the wish list. If we were to have a massive pot, what is an area we've identified we'd have a focus on as opposed to what we do now, which is these translational projects. Mm. And then we do what we call net grants, which are novel and emerging technologies. Um, and, and they are, you know, 100% about tech. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, at the moment we're doing something around smart devices um, and atrial fibrillation and detection. And um, there's some there's a, a project which I, I really don't understand, but it's very, very exciting about <laughs> using AI for safer CT imaging rather than yeah. contrast dyes, which, you know, do have some some negatives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff, I suppose we, we've stayed quite niche because the funds we have are limited but you know yeah. i'll tell you the, pr- the process um so we're just going through a new novel and emerging technologies round now so there's 12 full applications mm. they could they come through a, a system we use a, a system we need about 70 external reviewers to review those 12 applications yeah so that's a, and that's a lot of experts who give their time to us for free yeah. Um, to review and score these applications, that'll then be shortlisted. Those applicants will then come and they will present their project to a panel again of experts who give their time <laughs> to yeah. us for free. Um, and then that difficult decision will be made about what what will be funded. And that you know, 
as people can tell, I'm no expert, so I don't make that decision. Sure. <laughs> but I want well, the yeah, experts I think make it, would, it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a um, I'm a reviewer as well for 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 a, you know a, one of these type of things, and it is time consuming. You know, it's it's yeah. and and it's not like people don't put effort in. I mean, a grant application is a significant piece yeah. of work. You know, we've done many, many, many ones. We've been sometimes successful, sometimes not successful. But you know, it's it's um yeah, it's it's a time consuming process from from all sides. And partly because what you're talking about actually is really important, yes. you know, like, like it's, you know, this, 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 this stuff matters, like the upside is huge, but if it goes wrong, then the downside is also not insignificant either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and one of the, because we are smaller, so it, it gives us, we pride ourselves on being a good partner and whether you get the money from us or not, you know, you would get full feedback, um, what might have been seen as the weaknesses in case you want to come back with the same project for the next yeah. round. Um, you know, the likelihood is we might fund you on this yeah. project or another project in the future. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really intense process. And I think, you know, the team that I have who deal with it, take it really, really seriously. As That's do, as do the reviewers. Yeah. And I think you know, we're lucky um, to have a board who, um, you know, I think two or three times last year, I went to them and said, these are the top two in each grant round. We can afford to fund those. However, like number three was also brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Any chance? Yeah, yeah. Every, what do you think? Can we squeeze, a, squeeze yeah. an extra one in? And every time I said yes. Right. You know, you know they yeah. are keen to, to do what we're so let's here just to for, do. So for the listeners, and I think this is helpful because I want to try and break this down a little bit. Why does research matter? You can choose heart disease because that's your area. But why does it matter? Like, why? What? It sounds like a really stupid question, but like, I quite like asking stupid questions. So, why? Why does it like matter? What's What's important? Why does it matter to, to patients and things like that? Like, like in reality, because nothing would change if we didn't research. Or the only way it would change in terms of surgery is to be somebody just randomly thinking, "I'll, I'll try cutting that instead of that." Right. Right. <laughs> Let's cut, cut the blue wire instead of the red one. See what happens. Right. So you know, total it's not, guess. Yeah, it's about, and one, I suppose, one good example of that, I would say, is there are less invasive procedures these days, you know, and so we don't just look at surgery now, you know, we're working more closely with cardiologists, because it's not all about cutting somebody open. There are other Mm -hmm. things, you know, we were involved in, um, in research around the use of statins, Right. (laughs) where would we be now without statins where would we be without statins Um, i mean that's yeah and that's that they would not exist had nobody researched them right yeah 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 Yeah, so basically every every piece of innovation that's happened in in this space but also pretty much in any other space relates back to somebody spending money on what's called research but research in effect is just a term for individuals analyzing doing some work proving feasibility uh, trying new things in a controlled organized manner to determine that they improve outcomes in a specific area yeah yeah that was a much better explanation i could possibly have given (laughs) and so like and if and if that doesn't happen then nothing moves forward basically exactly yeah right yeah so it's sort of like just for everyone like because i think that that oftentimes i think people think that the scientific community is sort of slightly inaccessible potentially you know and it does research and all this sort of stuff and what actually happens who knows but it's basically the scientific equivalent of i don't know elon musk deciding to make a new electric car 
if he didn't make a new yeah. electric car, that is not a new electric car. In the same way as like in, in, in healthcare, if people don't decide to look at things and do new things and research new things, then it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly that. And, right. and I think, yeah, and then it's how you transfer into practice. So yeah. we were talking earlier about. Um, I think that's, a, I think that's critical. So yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, let's talk about this. I think so, this is so, really important. So if we funded all those years ago, um, those heart transplants in the UK, they'd been done other places, but the, you know, the NHS wouldn't fund them because they were a novel thing. They didn't yeah. know what the outcomes would be. Very, very expensive. Now they do happen, but not loads and loads of people need transplants. You know, it's, no. it's not it's not massive, massive numbers. So how does a surgeon learn how to do that? Right. Yeah. And that's and so that's where we. Well, and, to- well, and, and also like in things like heart surgery, you really don't want to be learning on the job. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that that's where we've kind of moved to to try and do that kind of the foot in a quite linear way, I suppose. Um, so we now will we run what we call master classes, which enable surgeons um, to go to a centre and be taught by absolute experts mm. how to do a heart and lung transplant, wow. um, how to do um, aortic dissection and surgery. Like, can, I, can I just ask a maybe slightly blunt question? But yeah, it, why is it your role to help train surgeons and not? an nhs organization what like i know that it's great that you do that i think but i'm just trying you know just got to ask the question yeah. well i mean they do i mean the tra- you know health education england's training programs i think are pretty pretty great and and right. and how surgeons learn um it's really good and there are other things like similar to the master classes quite often funded by maybe device companies um yeah yeah, but, yeah that makes sense um but i think to get the experts in a in a room in a lab um to show young you know just about to become consultants they're still called junior doctors at that stage i never really understood why they're certainly not junior or you know or new consultants how to do this surgery um and for them to be able to ask questions look at technique i can only imagine that when it comes to it yeah, as, as Debbie Harrington, who leads our aortic dissection masterclasses, you know these things happen to, tend to happen at two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. so if you've if you've had the ability to to do it in that setting yeah. with the best teachers, you're going to be so much more confident. Right. No, I did. I'm not. I, I think it makes total sense. It's just trying to understand how you view the your 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 role. And I think one of the things to the point around, and we'll do this, and then we will do for a commercial break, and then we'll come back after to the final bit of the show. But one of the so that one of the major grant funding bodies in the UK is Innovate UK, right? Which I'm sure that you've kind of heard of, and they do funding across all sectors, not just healthcare, but you know, energy or um you know like everything. I mean, pretty much everything. Yeah. You know, social care, anything. There's the government's kind of go to funding arm so the government will give money to innovate uk to disperse it to people who apply for these kind of grant calls one of the criticisms that they get is where does the money go as in all these people get funded you know and it might be 20k up to five million pounds depending on what the project is but are there people applying for these things and this money they get paid this money but nothing actually happens and it doesn't end up changing the world and like obviously if the money's coming from the government then it's less important but for you presumably every pound every penny counts right so how how do you think about making sure or tracking or demonstrating that the money that you give out results in real impact yeah 
And you want Sorry. the short answer to that? When are the adverts? Well, yeah, I mean, we can start now and we can finish after the adverts if you want. Or we can leave it there and we can go to the adverts and we can come back afterwards. It's all no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to answer it. It is, yeah, it's, the, it. it's the biggest question because, you know, wherever you are in the third sector, at the end of the day, and we don't get public funding, so our money is the general public's money and we are accountable for what we do with that money. Right. And, you know, I've talked to you about that, the kind of, the very big process that research goes through to get funded just mm -hmm. by us, a fairly small funder. Um, we've been looking more and more at how we talk about those outcomes. And in fact, our, our new strategy is, it has a, is going to have a page on our website where we will literally update where we are up to yeah. in live time. Perfect. Because, you know, it's only 12 pages. I'm so proud. It's not 75. It's a 12-page strategy. And it, but, but it's, you know, this is what we say we do. If we can't do that for any reason, we're going to tell you why. Or if we change direction for a reason, we will tell you why. Because you as our stakeholders and the people who give us money, we are accountable to you. At the, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's the long and short of it. It's not my money. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's Joe it, Bloggs well, yeah, walking down it, the street. It, it, it's, come, it's, come from, it's come from people in the real world reaching into their yeah. pockets. And, and so often it's come from people who have been affected by heart disease in one form or another and mm -hmm. and I am not going to take that responsibility lightly that yeah. is um that's our why right that makes sense and so what are some of that let's let's pause there because my producer will kill me if we don't stop at some point <laughs> for a break so let's stop there for the break and then afterwards we'll come back and deal with the final part of the show but one of the things I want to go through is um give you just an opportunity to take us through you know a few of the um a few of the projects or research that you funded, whether it's translational or this new emerging technologies that you would sort of highlight as something that demonstrates the effectiveness of what you guys are doing. Cause I know that we talked about before in the production call, there's a ton of stuff and you've already mentioned some stuff on the, on the show, but I sort of want to give you an opportunity to take people through. Cause I'm sure that there's stuff there that people just don't realize has happened, but actually you guys have been critical in funding. So we will be back after a short break. The station that makes you feel good. Galar Light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of today's Health Tech Hour. 
with me, Steve Reist, and Kate Bratt-Farrar, the CEO of Heart Research. So before the break, we were just talking about why research matters, specifically why and what would be happening, well, what would happen if um, there wasn't any research. Um, and that sort of led on to a discussion around, I think naturally leads on to a discussion around showcasing some of the innovations, um, developments, you know, um, that, that Heart Research UK have funded either recently or over the years. So yeah, Kate, what, what are some of the things that, that you would kind of point to as some of the things that have really had an impact that you guys have been involved in? I mean, I think I've, I've talked about quite a few of them in terms of <clears throat> the actual um, surgical intervention stuff around um, heart transplants, um, various valves, etc. cetera. Um, I suppose I'd be keen just to talk about like that, that next bit. So for us, we're funding this research, you know, and whether it is um, wearing a smartwatch or a smart ring to um, detect atrial fibrillation or you know, some of the ones I love are about um, making it less stressful. <laughs> but, you know, mm. having some, any kind of heart condition, it's stressful for the individual. It's incredibly stressful and upsetting for parents. Um, so, for example, we funded a couple of things to, to do with um, small, small people recently. So one, one was research around a five minute MRI. For, for for small people, right? Um, well, because an MRI is normally 20, 30 minutes. And yeah, it's, it's, and it's not the and most. It's bangy. It's not, yeah, well, and it's very. I had one myself a month or so ago, two months ago, and it's very intimidating. Yeah, you know, yeah. for anyone that's not had it, it's extremely claustrophobic. It's extremely loud. You have to stay extremely still. All of which is very, very, very difficult for a little person. Yeah, yeah, and uh, at an awful time as it is. But yeah. whereas something, you know, in terms of stuff, <clears throat> quite recently we've um, we funded um, an organisation based, based in Leeds, Leeds Children's Heart Surgery Fund. We put some money towards um, an incubator, so it's for um, so that a baby who needs a, a scan can be put into the incubator asleep and mm-hmm. have that scan asleep rather than needing a general anaesthetic. Now that which is amazing, which makes yeah. total sense. And, and as I've said, you know, because I'm easily pleased and, I, you know, it, it, I love the fact that, you know, it's going to make a difference now, but also that will be able to be used for research yeah. purposes, you know, in the future. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And was that a scientific team or was that how was that developed? You know, it's a, it's a it... mixture of both. So it exists, but I, I'm not sure if there are others in in England at the moment. The, these mm. things exist, but they're expensive. And this is that, I suppose, that bit where we. And we don't we don't fund a lot of capital things, but it was the potential for there to be more research as well yeah. that I think kind of meant a lot. Um, but if you sometimes if you've got something that does the job, why would money be put into changing that job? Well, that well, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the that, issue. You know, that's the perennial issue in the NHS, which is like yeah, how, justifying moving away from the incumbent technology. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, for us, I've talked about educating professionals. You know, we're kind of trying to, we're almost cradle to grave now. So right. uh, we do some really cool stuff in schools using VR and AR oh, cool. um, in primary schools for, for kids to learn about hearts and heart health. Okay. Um, so, you know, they can literally put the headset on and work their way through a heart. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and that, you know, is is very much because we you know we said right at the beginning it's prevention treatment cure and where is where is the point at which prevention is going to do the most good mm. it's, it's about learning about <clears throat> making choosing to make healthy choices 
yeah. think that's you know so so kids I, I, are where yeah, it's yeah. at yeah yeah well so and so that is an evolution right so how did how how is that part of the strategy because obviously you've got the research side which is you know some may say it was on a range from extremely technical to you know technical right in that in that space yeah. um you know so that's that, that, it can be gauged on the level at which i understand it well yeah. i don't know i mean it, you know so, i mean like some of these more more extreme the scientific research projects will, will, will are obviously a lot more technical but on on the on the you know because i know that on your website and, and a lot of work you do is on the education process about healthy choices yeah. and living healthier lifestyles and things like that so how did that kind of evolve and how have you blended that into the what were you you were doing before because i agree with i mean look my pop talk's all about prevention and early detection that's why we yeah. do what we do like it, we're, we're completely on board with with that i just i'm interested to know how you sort of incorporated that into the strategy i mean the so the schools program is fairly new and and you know it's only been going a couple of years and we're looking to we've been piloting different modules Mm. Um, but but for for quite a a while we've been working with employers on the heart health of their staff Mm. Um, and I think because it's a great it's a great way in Um, and so we've been doing that for for a number of years and going and we did something called the healthy heart mark it's it's now called healthy hearts at work and we would go to those to the site um, and we would do health checks on on employees yeah. and give them, you know, a heart age, what their risks were, um, and then give advice. And that that has now morphed into something that can be done, you know, 100% virtually. Should yeah. should they say one, and people can have one to one health coaching, etc. Yeah. But I know for a fact that 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 has actually saved lives. You know, the, yeah. the health coaches have sent people to A and A. The health coaches have sent right. people to their GPs, um, yeah. and it's. And I think for me, for us as an organisation, you, you know, we could have, and this metamorphosis started long before my time, we could have stayed 100% research focused. But actually, we've got the ability and the reach to do more. Yeah. And that's what our supporters want from us. Yeah. Um, you know, so we didn't used to have information pages about different heart conditions right. on our website, but we do now because that's what people wanted. It's not advice, but it is mm. information. And I think you've got to, you know, it's our responsibility to do that. It's identify the gaps, um, respond to what our stakeholders are asking us to provide yeah. and develop that within reason um, so that we, we you know, we reach our full mission yeah i agree and the um i mean i think that the point so you know whenever pockdoc whenever whenever we've done workplace screenings and things like that um the two things well two or three things that are always apparent to us is that one um everyone wants to get tested pretty much like yeah if, if you go somewhere people will show up they love it they really want to do it and 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 so the second thing that happens all the time is to say oh i've been meaning to do this all the time i've been meaning to do this i just didn't get around to it i just you know it just didn't happen but but yeah and the third thing that happens is that you always 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 find one two three or more individuals who have higher than expected levels and then who are then prompted into taking action whether that's going to see the gp or there is always issues that are highlighted and oftentimes those issues are within the people who who say oh i've been meaning to do this so so like subconsciously they know something is not necessarily all 
as good as it should be, whether they're, you know, a bit overweight or not as fit as they were, or there's a family issue that they, that, you know, that's been there and hereditary, you know, there's family heart disease, but they've never been tested or, you know, something is there and they have just never gotten around to it. And just because you show up with, you know, with the, with the testing bandwagon, it actually then prompts that yeah, person yes. to go and take action. And that, that is how, that's why we um, started the company. And that's why we believe in, in bringing te- or making testing more accessible because testing often is the prompt that makes someone take action. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd have stands in all the places where people don't go to the doctors. Well, no. So I, so yeah, you, that, you that, joke, you joke, but what I, yeah. I mean, I no, I'm not my, joking. I, no, my, I drive my co-founders nuts because I'm like, let's just go to Weatherspoons. Yeah. Let's just go test people in Weatherspoons. Like, why don't we go? Or I mean, other pub chains are available. Yeah. But you know, let's let's just go to the places where people are not. I mean, let's go to where they are, not where they're not. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, you you even before COVID, it was hard enough to get people into a doctor's surgery to take a sort of a preventative or proactive, you know, blood test or health screening. But you know, they go to football matches every week. Why don't yeah. we go there? Yeah, you know? get me in the Aldi car park as well. Yeah, well, no, I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, let's get, this is why we've done it. Like, let's make it more accessible. Okay, look, we've got five minutes left on the show. It seems like we could talk about this for a while, but let's get back on because otherwise my producer will be having words with me. So <laughs> before we end the show, what I, what we like to do, and I, I think that, that you know, is, is around trying to understand or, or have you share with us how you've managed to stay on your mission and how, particularly because you've dealt with some extremely tough areas if i look through your cv you know like child abuse child neglect safeguarding end of life care for pan- cancer patients you know heart disease some of these areas as, as you know they, they could overwhelm you in in those areas and so i think what i'm interested in is is how have you managed to not be overwhelmed by what on the face of it are quite difficult issues to to deal with let alone run organizations that deal with these issues and so on. And so how have you, how have you navigated that over your career? Well, I think that um, if you're driven by the why, then that, you know, that's always going to keep you going. Um, But, you know, I'd say don't be deceived because if you're the, the leader of an organization that is delivering these things, you know, I was not the person um, working in the refuge directly with the women and children. I'm not the nurse on the ward in the hospice. Right. Um, and so to say it must be difficult or could have been difficult for me, for me, maybe this is what keeps me, has kept me going, it feels like a disservice to those people right. that are actually doing the, the hands-on support. And, um, and, what do you, and what do you hear from those people about what, is it again it's about the why for those people those they're driven by a mission to provide care for people in in that situation yeah and I think it takes a special kind of person to be a support worker in a refuge or be a nurse or a healthcare assistant or a chef or a cleaner in a hospice um I think you know that there has to be a driver but then sometimes people go into it and then they need to go away for a while and do something else and then come back um and I suppose what I have done is kind of, you know, I've moved around, hopefully not too much. But um, for me, it is about making the, the change. I think all of these things that um, there's a social justice element to, to all of it, isn't there? Because, yeah. you, know, what, it, even, you know, even Heart Research UK, because we deserve the opportunity for the best outcomes. Um, 
we all do. And you know, that's one of the reasons I, I really like the health promotion stuff is because, uh, you know, heart, heart disease is a public health issue. It's, yeah, you know, it's it, massive. it massively is. Um, but I'm, I'm not here to be judgmental about people's lifestyle choices. Yeah. I'm literally half the size I was two years ago. Just, right. beca- you know, and I wouldn't have been judgmental about me right. you then, back then, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's about giving people the information to make the choices and the support to make the choices and whether that heart the heart disease that comes is from lifestyle or it's congenital or whatever it's about making sure the right things are in place when they're needed yeah i yeah and this is i completely agree and i think that this is why we believe in increasing access and affordability of testing because and that's why we we we, we're doing it on smartphones and tablets because they're the most ubiquitous things everyone has them so um is because sometimes that's the prompt that drives the action but a lot yeah. of the time people don't even know what their own levels of, of in this case lipids or cholesterols are they, they, they just don't know right they either never been tested or whatever you know it's been a long time ago and so um however people come into this heart journey around improving their health whether it's through testing or through going onto a website or lifestyle change ultimately the more people that we can push through that funnel is only going to make an, a, a positive impact um to the to the health crisis yeah yeah totally i think it's you know it's about supporting people it's about compassion it's about accessibility um all of those things um ultimately to to keep people alive longer that's yeah, that's what keep you families do. together i agree yeah. well look on that note we have to end the show but kate it was wonderful to get you on kate brat for our ceo of of heart research uk what's the website if anyone's interested looking heartresearch.org.uk heartresearch.org.uk thank you very much for coming on the show and thank as always, you for thank, having me thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back again with another health day gallon next week I had a bad week, spent the evening pretending it wasn't that deep. You could see in my eyes that it was taking over. I guess I was just blind and caught up in the moment. You know you take all of my stress right down. Help me get it off my chest and out. Into the ether with the rest of this mess that just keeps us depressed. We forget that we're here right now. Cause we're living life at a different pace, stuck in a constant race. Keep the pressure on, you're bound to break. Something's got to change. We should just be canceling all our plans and not give a damn if we're missing out on what the people think is right. See and do a picture behind a screen and forget to be. Lose the conversation for the message that you'll never read. I think maybe you and me, oh, we should head out to the place where the music plays and then we'll go all night. Two stepping with a woman I love. All my troubles standing up and when I'm in your eyes Electrified, we'll keep turning up and go on